And um, just a reminder, afterwards, after the service for the announcements, Steve is going to be bringing us an update on the pastoral search. And also, uh, we will have that business meeting uh, shortly after, so we hope that you can stick around for that. Even if you're not a member, you are welcome to stick around, though. Uh, we ask that only members vote. We are, as we look at a transitional time in our church, we are looking at the book of Joshua. And this is a, a part five of a six-week series on the book of Joshua. And today we are on Joshua chapter seven. But just as a recap of, of Joshua... Remember last week we talked about the stranger that appears before Joshua with the sword in hand. And if you recall, I said that this was none other than the Lord Jesus or a Christophany, a pre-incarnate appearance of the Lord Jesus before his coming to earth. And someone came up to me afterwards and said, you know, Justin, I was waiting for you to to talk about, you know, and, and tell us if it was an angel or if it was God, because I remember when Gary always referred to the story, he always said it was God. So you passed the test. And I said, I hope so, because Gary was my Bible teacher for 7th and 8th grade, 10th and 11th grade. I came to church here for a couple years. And for the last six years, I've been listening to his sermon. So I'd be a little remiss if I, if I didn't preach kind of online with Gary. Something would have been, would have been up there. And uh, I think I have a master's degree in, like, Dereshinsky I think is what I know. <laughs> or the theology of De- Gary Dereshinsky. Um, so we said that one of the reasons why uh, the Lord does appear to Joshua, well, first of all, in Joshua 1, he says, I'll be with you. And this is an example of how he's with him. He appears to him face to face. Secondly, we said it was to, uh, to encourage Joshua that the battle of Jericho and the rest of the battles aren't Joshua's battles. They're God's battles. So God is leading Joshua into battle. The third thing was it was because he wants to give Joshua a heavenly vision. And so he says, see the land that I've given to you. And the fourth reason was to give Joshua war plans. He was telling Joshua exactly how, in in Joshua 6, we read exactly what God says to do in order for Jericho to fall down. We're actually not going to talk about Jericho. There's a lot of great lessons in Jericho. But, you know, we're talking about this as a context of our church. And and one of the reasons um, in talking about Joshua is that we are in a transition time ourselves. And so we're looking at Joshua and, and, and how this applies really to our community of faith and also to our lives as individual Christians. And so we get to the story of Joshua chapter 7, which is Achan's sin. I've got to apologize today. You know, it seems like for the last uh, five week, or four weeks we've been talking about these real upbeat things like crossing the Jordan and, and it, all these exciting things happen. And this is one of the, the, most, the, the biggest judgment chapters that we find. And, you know, judgment is not a, a wonderful thing that we get to talk about all the time. It's like, it's like staying up here and reading Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, you know. And so when, when we talk about this, I, I apologize. It's, it's not the most uplifting of, of stories in Joshua 7. But there are very important lessons for us as a church, and three in particular that we're going to look at. And that is the consequences of sin, the purpose of accountability, and the challenge of community three things that we can apply here into our church community from the story of Joshua 7. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me there to Joshua chapter 7 as we read this. 
Starting in verse 1, but the Israelites acted unfaithfully in regard to the devoted things. Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some, some of them. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near beth Avon, to the east of Bethel, and told them, go up and spy out on the region. So the men went up and spied out Ai. And when they returned to Joshua, they said, not all the people will have to go up against Ai. Send two or three thousand men to take it. And do not weary all the people, for only a few men are there. So about three thousand men uh, went up. But they were routed by the men of Ai, who killed about thirty-six of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. At this, the hearts of the people melted and became like water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord, remaining there till evening. The elders of Israel did the same and sprinkled dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Ah, sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. Oh, Lord, what can I say now that Israel has been routed by its enemies? The Canaanites and the other people of the country will hear about this, and they will surround us and wipe out our name from the earth. What then will you do for your own great name? Then the Lord said to Joshua, Stand up. What are you doing down on your face? Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. They have put them with their own possessions. This is why... The Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they have, made, have been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. Go consecrate the people. Tell them, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. That which is devoted is among you, O Israel. You cannot stand up against your enemies until you remove it. In the morning, present yourselves... Tribe by tribe, the tribe that the Lord takes shall come forward, clan by clan. The clan that the Lord takes shall come forward, family by family. And the family that the Lord takes shall come forward, man by man. He who is caught with the devoted things shall be destroyed by fire, along with all that belongs to him. He has violated the covenant of the Lord and has done a disgraceful thing in Israel. Early the next morning, Joshua had Israel come forward by tribes and Judah was taken. The clans of Judah came forward. And he took the Zerites. He had the clan of the Zerites come forward by families, and Zimri was taken. Joshua had his family come forward man by man, and Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah, was taken. Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and give him praise. Tell me what you have done. Do not hide it from me. Achan replied, It is true. I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I have done. When I saw the plunder, a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. They are hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent. And there it was, hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. They took the things from the tent, brought them to Joshua and all of the Israelites, and spread them out before the Lord. Then Joshua, together with all Israel, took Achan, son of Zerah, the silver, the the robe, the gold wedge, his sons and his daughters, his cattle, donkeys, and sheep, his tent, and all that he had to the valley of Achor. 
Joshua said, why have you brought this trouble on us? The Lord will bring trouble on you today. Then all Israel stoned him, and after that they had stoned the rest, they buried him. Over Achan they heaped up a large pile of rocks, which remains to this, I'm sorry, they burned him. Over Achan they heaped up a large pile of rocks, which remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his fierce anger. Therefore that place has been called the Valley of Achor ever since. Not, not your cheerful giddy-up sermon or, or passage this morning, but nonetheless it is, it is a very important story for us to understand. You know, in Joshua chapter 6, we read the story of Jericho. And one of the requirements in the story of Jericho was that they were to take the gold and the silver and the bronze and put it in the treasury of the Lord. And they were to slaughter every single person in the city of Jericho, except for Rahab and whoever's in her house. And what a, what a, a tremendous uh, challenge that must have presented to, to do those things. And what does Achan see? He sees this rope, he sees this gold wedge, he sees all this money, and he's like, I'm not going to let this go to waste. And he puts it and he keeps it for himself and he buries it under his tent. But because of that, 36 men lost their lives in the Battle of Ai. Because of that, women and children lost their husbands, they lost their fathers because of one man's sin. You might say, well, how is that fair, God? And that's what we have to look at today. You know, the first thing that we see is we see a consequence of sin. What Achan does is what he, what he does in taking those things, Israel pr- pays a dear price for it. And you have Joshua, who's on his face, and another, another Monty Python moment. You know, uh, Arthur, king of, the, king of the Britons, you know, why are you groveling? You know, it's like, here's Joshua groveling before the Lord. I'm, why are you doing this, God? What about your own great name? And he says, get off of your face and start cleaning out the sin in your camp. You will not survive. You will not win. You will not be victorious unless you get rid of that sin. And so he he tells Joshua, this is not the time to talk to me. This is the time to lead Israel out of their iniquity. You know, I think the first lesson we learn about the consequence of sin is that our sin affects our communities. And sometimes, and reality is, is that affects other people even more than it affects ourselves. People pay for our sins in many cases more so than we do. I had a student back when I was teaching who um, his parents went through a pretty messy divorce. His father decided to leave his mom for another woman, and shortly after, he began living with his girlfriend. And this poor guy, was he was a great student. He was a wonderful kid. I loved having him in my class. He was just a, a really friendly kid, and, and it totally destroyed him. It totally destroyed this kid. He, he could not cope. He, he stopped coming to school, and the few times he came to school, he was just in tears all class. I talked to him after class. I'm like, hey, how's it going? You know, What can I pray for you about? And he's, just, he's totally devastated because of the sin of his father. And that's the reality of it, is that sin oftentimes affects others more than it even affects us. His father didn't pay nearly the price that his son paid. The emotional toil. His father just thought I was making a decision, but the reality was is that it affected his son. It tore him up. You know, oftentimes sin has natural consequences, and we've seen those in the news very often. We've seen what happens when people have this tremendous greed, and they and they decide to start these schemes. And we see it in the case of Enron, 
We see it in the case of Bernie Madoff and how it brought total financial industries down the tube. And people are crushed because of these people's decisions. Their desire for that extra bit of money has brought people to a place where they have no retirement, no jobs, nothing. Why? Because that's the natural consequences. You know, there's some guy in BP who decides, you know, let's cut a corner here, and now he has to tell families that, I'm sorry, your, your husband or your father's not coming home. He has to tell fishing industries, I'm sorry, you're not going to be able to pay your bills because you, there's oil all in the Gulf. One man's decision brings down that much. It's amazing how that happens. You can see it in churches as well. Sometimes there are spiritual consequences for sin because the reality is, is that God does not bless sin. That's just the reality. God does not bless sin. He doesn't look at us and say, oh, you're sinning, I'll overlook that. He does not do that. He's not here to overlook sin. He's here to forgive sin. And so we have to bring that sin, bring that confession out to him. I was reading a book uh, a few years ago about, from an evangelist who was talking about his mission of going to different churches and his call to the church to repent of sin. And he, and he was talking about two different churches. And he said, this one church, he said, he gave this sermon and people came up in groves afterwards and repented of their sin. In fact, the next, that night, they all came back. They decided to have another meeting that night and had a bonfire where they burned all of these things that they had been hiding in their house that was separating them from the Lord. And on the other hand, he said, then he went to another church. And this particular church, he gave the same message and called them to repent and He said, and no one came forward. And he said, are you sure? Is there no one here that wants to repent, that wants to come forward? And and no one did. And afterwards, they said, we'd like you to stop your your evangelism, your revival meeting short, because we are so offended that you would ask us to repent. Who are you to come into our church and ask us to repent? Well, it turns out, uh, maybe a year or two later, he found out that church didn't exist anymore. It turned out there were people in the church having affairs. There was greed going on. There was, there was stealing going on. There, that, it, it took the whole church down and broke it apart and destroyed it. And, that, and that's because they did not listen to that pastor. They did not adhere and listen to his uh, call for repentance. You know, what's the other thing that I find about Achan is that here he has, he, he wants this robe. It must have been a really nice robe. And, and a gold wedge. I mean, what's a gold wedge? I don't know. Is that, like a, is that like a thing that you stick under the door? I don't know. Maybe he's like, when I get a door, I have a really nice gold wedge. And he's got some money. Like, what's he going to do with money? It's not like you can buy anything in Israel. It's all a different system. He wants, he's got some gold and silver. And it's not like he can go around and, around and wear that robe. You know, he's, he can't go out. And there, there's Benji, his neighbor, who's going to be like, hey, Aiken, nice robe. Where'd you get it from? Well, you know, last week I went to Babylonia for a little bit. You know, he can't do that. What's he going to say? He can't be like, oh, I got it at Nordstrom. You know, it's, he got it from Jericho, and everyone would know it. So what's he got to do? He's got to bury it. He can't even enjoy the things that he wanted so bad, he's got to put it under his tent. I mean, isn't that so sad? And the truth is, is that the other consequence of sin is that we don't even get to enjoy the things that we are secretly designed. Those, those secret sins that we so desperately want, we can't enjoy. We have to hide them. We have to put them aside, and we have to make sure nobody knows about them except for us, and maybe take a little peek under the tent late at night, but when no one's in the tent, 
just kind of look and say, oh, that's a nice robe. That's a nice gold wedge. Maybe handle the money a little bit. We've got to put it back because we don't want anyone to know about it. And, you know, you think about, I, I, I watch some movies, and, and, and you watch some movies where uh, a husband or a wife is cheating on their spouse, and it just looks awful. You know, it's this real messy thing where people have to go around and they're always watching their backs and they're always trying to make sure nobody knows what's going on. And how could you live your life like that? How could you live always looking over your shoulder? That's not the way to live. And when we hide sin, when we want to enjoy that type of sin and we hide it, man, it eats us up. We can't enjoy that life Because that life is not meant for us to enjoy. We don't want the public to know about that lifestyle. And so what what we learn from Achan is that the sin that he desperately wants, that thing that he was just like, you know, maybe if I just take it and I'll just put it under my tent, it's no big deal. It was eating him alive. And the reality of it is it leads him to destruction. How ironic, the thing that he buries, buries him. The thing that he hides under the ground, oh, he's got it when he's under a heap of stones. And it takes down him, and it takes down his whole family. You know, one of the, one of the interesting things that we see in this passage is we see Joshua bringing out the people by tribes and bringing them out by groups and bringing them out by clans and then by family and then finally a person. You can ask yourself, well, why did he do it that way? Why not just say, Achan's the one who did it. Bring out Achan, stone him. But no, he brings them all out. And I think there's a real specific reason why God chooses to do it this way. And I like to call this the circle of accountability. The circle of accountability. The reason why God has Joshua bring out the people in this way is he's explaining to him that one person's sin affects the whole community and affects it like this. When he was saying, when he has uh, the tribes come forward, You know, the tribes are not just so that when they get to Israel, they have these different tribes in these different areas. The purpose is also to govern and to hold them accountable. It's very similar to what we have here in the states. We have a country, and then we have, it's broken up by states and broken up by counties, and that's broken up by cities, and then there's, there's communities. And they're all there to hold us accountable on one level plane or another. And the reality of it is when Achan sins, he not only brings... Uh, destruction on himself and his family. He brings destruction on Israel. 36 men are killed. He brings shame to the people, the tribe of Judah, to the Zerorites, to the family of Zimri. You know, it's like now when we, whenever we hear the name Zimri, what are we going to think of? We're going to think of Achan. And how sad is that for Zimri? He could have been a really good guy. But the problem is, is that he, now he's associated with this person. It's a reminder for us to be very careful about the people we associate with, isn't it? Because it's very quickly, how quickly they can bring us down. It's amazing to, to see, and I, and I think of my own life, and in times of my past when I backslid, and there is a resounding theme, and that is the friends that I had been hanging out with at that time. And the reality of it is, is that oftentimes uh, we see people who grow up in the church, they go off to college, they decide not to hang out with with a, a godly group or not get involved in campus ministries or anything like that, and pe- they just are led right to destruction because of the associations they make and the people they hang out with. I've had people in my past tell me, hey, be careful about hanging out with this person because he will bring you down. Even though you may not be participating with him, but he can bring you down. Be careful. You know, it's just like 
It's like, it's like sitting in the car with a drunk driver. We may, we may not have been drinking, but whatever they do in that car, we will suffer the consequences. And God is saying there was accountability that should have been there that was broken down. And I think there is accountability for us today. There is accountability that we have towards our spouses, that we have towards our family, that we have towards our church community. Churches are not social clubs. They're not, they're not just here for entertainment. Churches are communities that help us grow in our walk with the Lord. We have an obligation to hold each other accountable. We don't like to talk about church discipline. And, uh, it, it, but the purpose of church discipline isn't to bring people's out, sins out into the open and tell everyone what somebody did. Paul makes it very clear that the purpose of church discipline of coming alongside of that person that you're a friend of and your brother and sister in Christ and saying, hey, man, there's something that we've got to talk about. And coming quietly. Because the purpose is not to expose them. The purpose is that they repent. The purpose is not to kick people out of the church and be like, well, he just doesn't fit in. I don't really like his haircut, so let's take his sin and let's make sure he's out of the church. That's not the purpose. Paul makes it very clear that the purpose is repentance. And when they repent, they come back into the church community. There's all these levels of accountability that happen before that person is kicked out. That's the last resort. And even then, it's this, this heartbreaking desire that this person would repent of their sins and come back and be, again, part of the community of faith. And that is, what, that is our responsibility as well. It is our responsibility to be our brother's keeper, our sister's keeper. It is responsibility because it's accountability, because we all pay for the sins of other people. And I strongly believe that churches are not exempt from this. That when someone in a church is dealing with sin, it affects all of us in some way or another. We may not even see it. Like Joshua didn't see it. Joshua and the people, they didn't know. But then when it came to the battle of Ai, what happened? Surprise. You can't win. And you can't win because somebody has sinned. And that's why it's so important to hold each other accountable and be that type of community that that watches over each other and, and spurs each other to love and good deeds and to modeling Christ. You know, at the end of this chapter, we get a very disturbing image because all of Achan's family, all of his animals, all of his possessions, it's not just Achan. Everyone is killed with Achan. I mean, that's sad. And all of Israel is the one that they throw the stones on him. We might ask the question, well, why does Achan's family have to die with Achan? I mean, maybe his sons and daughters were just little kids. Why does that have to happen? And I think this is a sobering reality to the accountability that God expects of us in our family. You know, Achan's house is not a mansion. It's probably a sukkah, not much larger than this. And I think, you know, it's, pretty, it's probably pretty hard to hide those things under the ground. It's like you're walking, you're like, oh, what's that? You know, it's like, we get carpet? No. I mean, he, he's hiding these things in his tent. And I, I, I'd be amazed to, to, to hear that Achan's wife and his children didn't know that Achan had these things in his tent. But the other thing is, if he did, shame on them. Because we as a family, we need to be, and I, and I know I... I, I'm talking, I have a four-year-old, a two-year-old, and a four-month-old. And God help me when I have a 16-year-old and an 18-year-old and a 20-year-old. <laughs> but because I know there's going to be times that are going to be rough, and I, I, I'm sure I'll be 
asking for lots of advice as we go through those times. But the reality of it is, is that we should know what's going on in our families. Uh, the story of Columbine in, in 1999, when, when the reporters came to these parents and said, well, didn't you know? No, we didn't know. We didn't know that he had weapons and he was learning how to make bombs on his computer and all of these things that were going on. We didn't know that because we, we, we have privacy here in this house. Well, that desire for privacy led to the massacre of a number of students and teachers and, and a shocking reality that, you know what? We have a responsibility in our families. It's not to say that, that those things always happen, but the reality of it is that we need to we need to know what's going on in our family. Joshua, what we're going to look at next week, says, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I'm not going to bring that stuff into my house. I'm not going to bring that stuff into this tent. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's why I think Joshua and Achan and all of his family are killed there in the Valley of Achor. You know, it really speaks to something else because the reality of it is is not that we should be stoning people or anything like that the reality of it is is that we this is a call of accountability this is a reminder for us that you know what accountability is really important this week uh, I started something which this morning I'm really regretting I started working out this week and uh, I, I woke up this morning I couldn't even straight I, I still can't I can't straighten my arm <laughs> like it, I'm in like so much pain and and uh and there's, there have been times, ever since I started this, this, job, this new job last year, I've gained some weight because it's a, it's a, it's a desk job uh, for the most part. And so it's hard for me to get up and, and get moving around. I'm not used to that. And so I, I've kind of gained weight. And there have been times where I've been like, I'm going to work out. There's a really nice gym we have at the school. And we can take lunch hours and, and go and work out. It's great. It's awesome. The problem is, is that I am the most unmotivated person when it comes to working out. I could bring my gym clothes to, the, to work, and I just look at that bag, and I'm like, I don't really want to. <laughs> That's the way I am. And I'll tell you what, for as motivated as I am to do other things, I am not motivated. I, I have a wee fit in my basement, and it's just like the thought of going and changing into some gym shorts and a shirt and going down there and turning it on, no, nah, I don't think I will. <laughs> And so I'll start these, like, great intentions. All right, I'm going to work out this for, you know, and I'll go maybe for a week or two, and then I'm like, I get busy, and it's so easy for me. I mean, I'm just so busy throughout the day that it's so easy for me to just kind of push it aside and be like, i got to do work. Well, there's a guy who who started working in my office, and and he used to be a really big guy. And he's lost, like, at one point he had lost almost 200 pounds. And, um, And so he's still... He's still wanting to lose weight. And so he's been getting there at like 6 a.m. And, um, and working out. Now, I'm supposed to be at work at 7.30. I get up around 7. <laughs> and so when, uh, so when he says, well, we could work out at 6, I'm like, you're out of your mind. There's no way I'm getting up at 6 a.m. You know, so what we've been doing is we've been taking our lunch breaks. And he's like, this was the first week that he had been working out the whole time. And he's got this plan from like the Howard County Police Department. It's killing me. And it's, but but I, I'm feeling great. I think I probably lost a couple of pounds this week. And it's, it's wonderful. But the reality of it is that I need this guy to hold me accountable to work out. That when six period comes, I'm like, all right, let's go work out. And he needs that too. 
And so here we are, we're both uh, working at the same goal, and that is you know, working out, getting in shape, losing some weight, and, but we need each other for this. And the reality of it is that you and I, we fight battles every day. We fight these spiritual battles. We go through some tough stuff. And the purpose of accountability is, is to become like Christ. It is to help each other become like Christ. It's not to embarrass people. It's not to point out their sins and faults and things like that. It's to help us grow and become like Jesus. It's, it's so that maybe in three weeks I'll have a six-pack on my abs. I don't know. <laughs> but the purpose of accountability, that's why we, we hold each other accountable. And Achan didn't have that. He didn't have a buddy there in, in Jericho with him saying, all right, man, we're going to go two by two into Jericho, and we're going to do this because we want to make sure that none of us messes up. We're going to go in groups, and we're going to make sure that nobody messes up. It's so his wife can say to him, Achan, you got something in your tent. I know. We've got to get rid of it. We've got to come out and confess what we had done, because when the truth comes out, it's often too late. This is not a very popular verse. It's James 5.16. Confess your sins one to another so that you may be healed. The reality of it is is that we're not confessing our sins to each other so that we can be forgiven. God is going to forgive us. We, we don't need a priest to forgive us of our sins. God is, Jesus is our priest. But the reason that we confess our sins one to another is so that we can work on not getting into that sin. We can work on overcoming that sin. It's so my brother can, up, can come up to me and say, Justin, how are you doing with that? I have a friend in, since college, you know, we, whenever we get together, uh, we're always, we, he, we're holding each other accountable. We're always talking about the struggles in our life. And, and very private things. Why? Because we want each other to become more like Jesus. He's helping me in my walk. I'm helping him in his walk. It brings us to a challenge of community. You know, how do we get to this point I know a lot of people wouldn't feel comfortable, and not just talking about sin, but talking about any type of struggle. How is that? You know, how can we be willing to share the things that were going on in our life? And it doesn't mean it, it could be sin, but it could be, it could be personal struggles. It could be financial difficulties. It could be uh, issues that we're having at work. It could be problems that we're having with our families, problems that we might be having in our marriages, because we all have these issues at one time or another and in some form or another. And the reality of it is we have to be willing to express that. But a lot of times we put up these walls, right? We put up these fences and barriers, and we say, you know what, I'm not going to tell people about that because it's embarrassing. And that's the reality of it. It's embarrassing. So the reality of it is that we have to be people who hold confidences and who who can accept the burdens of each other. If we're not going to... Uh, hold each other accountable in a way that's appropriate, well, then people aren't going to want to share those things. Why? Because the, the thought is, hey, if I share this problem, it's just going to end up on the prayer chain, right? I think we need to pray about Johnny because Johnny has this issue instead of dealing with it appropriately. They're not going to want to come and, and talk to somebody if that becomes the next gossip news. Hey, did you hear about so-and-so? The reality of it, there's this two-part responsibility. There's one part on uh, personal responsibility to come forward and to find those people, those brothers and sisters here at the church and say, this is what I'm dealing with. And on the other hand, we need to be, we need to be people that receive that and accept that. Sometimes, you know, 
it's, it's, it can be difficult because, you know, oh, they always just go on and on and on about their problems, and it's hard to bear. I mean, that happens sometimes. But we have to be willing to bear those things. We have to be willing to, to share each other's burdens. And it all comes back to building community. The purpose of this is not anything else but to become like Christ and build a community. That's part of our vision statement, so that we can help each other become like Christ here in this community of faith. And we're talking about transitions. We're talking about moving forward. This is where we've got to be. We can't, we, this New Hope Chapel cannot be a social club. It cannot be an entertainment place. It cannot be a place where I come and get my Sunday morning fix. I hear my sermon. I see some, sing some songs, and I'm out the door right before amen is said. I show up 10 minutes late. I leave a few minutes early, and that's that because I got my Sunday fix. That's not the purpose of church. We are not building community if we do those things. We have to be willing to do the hard things. We have to be willing to share with each other's burdens. I'm a, I think the story of Achan is a story of... Um, it's a sobering reality of sin. It is a reminder, though, of accountability and of God's grace. I think all of these, these messages that I've, I've spoken so far... You know, there's this resounding theme of grace. Jesus has paid the sin. We don't have to worry about being stoned for our sins. Jesus has taken it for us. You know, I, one, of the, one of the things that I was thinking of Joshua 6 and of the destruction of Jericho, and you're like, man, it, what a violent story that is. And the reality of it is in Isaiah 43, there's a beautiful verse. It says, Fear not, O Israel, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you pass through the fire, you will not be burned. The fire will not set you ablaze. For I am the Holy One of Israel, your Redeemer. We oftentimes stop reading right there because it's just beautiful and it fits and we can apply it to our own lives. But then the next verse says, I have given Cush for you, and I have given Egypt as a ransom for you. I have given others' lives for you. Well, that applies to Israel, but I think what we can say is we can add this. I have given myself for you. The reality is is that Jesus loves us, and that's the whole purpose of this. The whole purpose of a community, the whole purpose of accountability, the whole purpose of, of consequences of sin and all of these things is because Jesus loves us and wants us to be like him. And that's our goal. That's what we want. That's what I want. I want on my, on my gravestone, I want to just say, if, if that's all it said at my funeral, he wanted to be like Christ and he was like Christ. If that's all it said, we can leave. You know, I think I would be so happy about that because that is our, that's our purpose for living as Christians is to become like Christ. And whatever that takes, that's what I want. Whatever that takes, even if it takes the hard things of being held accountable, of confessing our sins, that's what I want. Because my purpose is to become like Christ. I want us to just spend some time in prayer and, and pray together this morning. Um, please feel free to, to voice your own prayers. Pray for our community. Pray for... Um, an attitude of repentance. You, you can pray silently about things in your life that you need to repent of. But I think we would be remiss if we stopped here without repenting before the Lord.